this morning is, uh, is Palm Sunday. And so on Palm Sunday, uh, in the church calendar and sort of historically, what is celebrated is what's called the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry is the day in which Jesus came into Jerusalem for the last time. Well, the last time before his death and resurrection, Jesus comes in on the triumphal entry. And, and uh, we even talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you remember, or you read it in Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus instructs his disciples to go and get the donkey, right? The colt of a donkey and to bring it so that he can ride in. It says that people lay their coats before him. It says that people are waving palm branches. In fact, maybe in the church tradition you grew up or even even in this church, I think historically, they've done a thing where they'll hand out palm branches to kids and the kids wave the palm branches. That's to celebrate the entry of Christ into Jerusalem. It says uh, in Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 37 and following, as he was drawing near, uh, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The reason why the Pharisees saw the triumphal entry and felt like there was sin occurring, why the disciples needed to be quieted at that point, is that they were fulfilling prophecy. Uh, it says in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Jesus comes into the triumphal entry, riding not on a mighty charger, but on the back of a donkey, and having people shout, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were declaring, for anybody who would pay attention, that this was the king who had been prophesied, that this was the Messiah come to Jerusalem. And so in the triumphal entry, we see... A revelation of Christ as the king. A revelation of Christ as the foretold Messiah. And that's what the Pharisees were uptight about. What we celebrate in the church calendar on Palm Sunday is the revelation of Christ through this triumphal entry. And what we're talking about this morning as we finish our spring training series is also the revelation of Christ. It's a revelation of Christ that is a continuation of this revelation because we understand that the revelation of Christ is not complete. Now, I've said this before, but let me just clarify. We're, we're in the midst of a series. Actually, this will be our last Sunday in a series called Spring Training. Next Sunday, we'll have a standalone Easter message about the new creation that God is doing through the resurrection of Christ. The following Sunday, we're going to dive into a study in the book of Genesis that we will be in for Many months, right? So we're going to be in Genesis starting the week after Easter, and we'll be there for a while. But this morning, uh, we, we finish up the spring training series, which has been about establishing rhythms and patterns, uh, joining in with Christians who followed Jesus throughout the centuries in, in following these patterns and these rhythms, these practices. We call them spiritual disciplines. So we've talked about things like prayer. We've talked about things like generosity. We've talked about community. We've talked about Bible study. All of these very practical things, they don't, they don't increase your status before God in any way, but they're healthy practices. We've said this again and again and again. They're healthy practices to help us know God more, to understand more of who he is, right? To understand him more and therefore increase our propensity for worship, but then also to reflect the characteristics and the nature of God in our own conduct, and therefore then to reveal Christ to others. 
So this morning, as we finish this series, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of revelation. And when we say revelation, I'm not talking about the last book of the Bible, the apocalyptic book or the prophetic book. I'm talking about the way in which Christ is revealed in us. In many ways, the discipline we're talking about this morning is the culmination of all the other disciplines we've talked about. Because all of those other disciplines are for the sake of the glory of God and the good of others. As Christ is revealed in us, the continuation of his ministry. I love, uh, I love the way that the book of Acts begins. I don't know when the last time you looked at the book of Acts was. But in Acts 1.1, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this at the beginning of the book of Acts, which is about the establishment of the New Testament church and those early missionary journeys. He says this in his sort of preamble, his preface to the book of Acts. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I love the way he begins this book of Acts. He says, in the last book, where therefore he's, re- he's referring to the, book, the gospel of Luke, he says, in the last account, I gave you a testimony about the beginning of Jesus' work. And the tense of the verb there with regard to beginning has the the implication or the indication that the work of Christ didn't finish at the closing of the Gospel of Luke. That what we see in the Gospel of Luke is the beginning of the work of Christ. And now what we would see in the book of Acts, if we were to study it, is the continuation of the ministry of Christ. And as we look at one another here at Fullerton Free, part of the body of Christ in an ongoing way, what we are involved in this morning and day in and day out as disciples and followers of Christ, is the continuation of that self-same ministry. Does that make sense? The work that we are doing is not something separate from the ministry of Christ that he began in the Gospels, but is the continuation. It's the ongoing ministry of Jesus made manifest in us. So when we come to a verse like 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, listen to this. Speaking of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry, right? Jesus enters Jerusalem. This is what Paul says about his ministry and ours in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Okay, so here's what we're talking about this morning in the revelation, right? The spiritual discipline of revelation. It's about an acknowledgement that my life and your life individually, maybe more importantly, our lives united together as the body of Christ on this particular street corner are being led in continual triumphal procession to spread the fragrance of Christ. We see the triumphal, of, the triumphal entry of Jesus in Luke 19, but our lives are a continuation of that triumphal procession. He says here that through us and through the power of Christ, God is spreading the fragrance of Jesus everywhere. That's what we're talking about when we talk about revelation. That when you go to work and when you mow your lawn and when you interact with your friends and when you post online and everything that you and I do as a follower of Christ is lived in this effort to continue this revelation of Jesus that he began in the Gospels. Actually, he began at the outset of human history and that he continues in and through us. This message this morning, by the way, will probably feel, it should feel, very redundant. I'm hoping that for those of you who've been longtime members of Fullerton Free, that you'll go, yeah, we've heard this already, right? We've heard this message. We get it. We get it. We're supposed to reveal Christ. Listen, I, I hope, I hope that it feels redundant. And I hope you understand that I cannot preach it enough. 
that if it feels like this concept is woven through almost every message, that it's woven through our mission statement, that it's woven through our vision pillars, that it's woven through our circle strategy to have an impact on the people around you, you go, we get it, we get it. We're hoping to have this revelation in our world. Man, I I hope that it feels redundant. I hope it feels like we say this all the time because it is at the core of who we are. Our mission statement says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Fullerton Free is a loving community right? United in sacrifice and living like Christ for the glory of God. See that living like Christ by the power of his spirit for the glory of God? Living like Christ is about revelation. When we talk about being a people of radiant peace or revolutionary kindness or prophetic engagement or unforced appeal, all of those characteristics that we see in our vision pillars, those are all about making manifest the heart and character of the Lord Jesus in our present age. When we talk about identifying your gifts and strengths and recognizing that there are probably 10 to 15 people around you who have the closest set of eyes on what your life is like and then figuring out how best to reveal Christ to those people by investing in them, including them, right? When we talk about that strategy of having that impact, what is that? It's the revelation of Christ. In fact, we could boil down the whole of the ministry of the local church, Fullerton Free and any local church, as essentially being about the revelation of Christ To us, the revelation of Christ in us, and the revelation of Christ by us. I mean, that's the whole thing right there, right? That is what it means to be a disciple. That Christ is increasingly revealed to us. That then Christ is revealed in us, both individually and corporately. And then Christ is revealed intentionally by us. When we talk about the spiritual discipline or the practice of revelation, we're talking about that third piece, the revelation of Christ by us. And it doesn't just mean, you know, sort of gluing on an Old Testament looking beard and wearing a white robe and putting on a black, a blue sash. It's not about uh, doing an impression of Jesus, right? Don't be confused. I remember um, when I was, uh, I ran a discipleship program at Hume Lake for college students for a while. And every year at Halloween, without fail, There would be one or two of my students who would have the clever idea to, uh, instead of dressing up like their favorite basketball player or dressing up like Robin Hood or dressing up like Darth Vader, instead they would come up with what they perceived as a clever idea to dress up like me, which wasn't very hard at the time. Basically, it was like jeans and a black T-shirt and some, you know, glasses or whatever, just maybe a bald cap if they wanted to spend a little bit of money, right? But the worst part about those impressions was the the fact that when they got it all done, they were always really proud of it. The thing I didn't like about it was the pillow they stuffed inside their shirt. That was the part that was like too far, right? That's too far. It was fine. It's the one, maybe it felt honoring at one point, but once you put the pillow in your shirt, it feels like hurtful. That's the, you know, when we talk about the revelation of Christ, we're not talking about all of us even looking exactly the same. So it isn't about us putting on a Jesus costume. It's about the Lord Jesus being in us and then revealing himself dynamically in the circumstances of our life. I want to give you a rapid fire list of some things that back this up, right? Several scriptures here in quick succession. If you're taking notes, good luck. Here's what it says in Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Galatians two twenty says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You hear that? That's not putting on a Jesus costume. That's Christ living in me, Christ alive in me. 
Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 6. This is verse 5. It says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What is that? Well, that's us putting on resurrection life. Verse 13 of the same chapter says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Very practically speaking, what that means is you have faculties. You have the ability to think. You have the ability to speak. You have the ability to work. You've got hands and feet. All of this physical nature that can be given back to God as an instrument for his use to reveal Christ. So don't turn over what you've got to death or to sin. Turn over what God has given you as instruments for righteousness. That's Romans 6.13. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. Over time, you and I are being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what sanctification is all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10 says, We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You hear it again and again and again? This idea that Jesus is meant to be put on display in us, that he's meant to be revealed in us, in our actions and in our words and in our attitudes, that we put Christ on display. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have put on Christ. That that's what it means to be baptized into him, to be disciples. We, we become a representation of who he is. Romans 13, 14 similarly says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 says, and, and we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the creator. Right? You hear it again and again and again. There, there are more verses we could grab, some that maybe even come to mind. But the idea is that you and I are meant to put Jesus on display. And that that's not something new. That is a continuation of the ministry of Christ himself. We're invited into that ongoing ministry of revealing who Jesus is. But how does it happen? How does that happen? Well, we can go all the way back to the first verse I read, Galatians 2.20. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, let me read it to you again. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how does this happen? Well, it happens by faith. It says right there in Galatians 2.20. That it happens by faith, that we trust in the power of God to do this work in us. We trust not only that one day, as it says in 1 John, one day we will see him as he is and we will be like him. So there is a day coming, right? We see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. There's a day coming when the Lord Jesus will return and we will see him and we will become like him. That, that's when we will be glorified, right? But up until that point, if we were to go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and following, it says that because we have that hope that we will someday be made like Christ, that in the life we currently live, we now then purify ourselves. So here's why this is a discipline, right? 
it would be easy for us to look at it and go, well, if God's conforming me to his image and that's the power of the, the, the Holy Spirit at work in me and one day I will be completely like him when I see him as he is, it might be easy for us in the here and now, in, in 2021, to just sort of throw up our hands and go, well, I don't have to do anything because someday I'm going to be made like Jesus. The, the biblical writers here are, are adamant to say, no, 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 it's not about throwing up your hands and saying there's nothing for you. It's to say that if you have hope of someday being conformed to the image of Christ, then in this life, by faith, we put our faith in the ongoing work of Christ to reveal himself in us. We trust in him to do that work, to be more and more like him. And again, it's not about homogeny. So the idea here isn't, isn't that we would all be exactly the same. I want you to think about this for a second, because sometimes I think you, you worry about losing your autonomy in some ways, or you worry about losing your identity, your independence. There, there are things that make you unique. Maybe it's the way you grew up. Maybe it's the, the, the vocation you have. Maybe it's your passions. Maybe it's the group of friends you have. Maybe it's your gifts or your talents. And sometimes when we start talking about the revelation of Christ or conforming to the image of Christ, there can be this sort of nervousness about losing your identity. But what I want you to see is that in the beauty of the body of Christ... What God is hoping to do is to reveal Christ uniquely through the uniqueness that he has built into each and every one of us. I love in Revelation chapter 7. In, uh, now we're talking about the book of Revelation, not, uh, not the revelation of Christ. Revelation 7 and actually a couple of other passages, it talks about this huge choir of people that are singing praises around the throne of God. And one of the ways that John, the revelator, describes that choir is he says that they are people of every tribe and nation and tongue. So here's what I want you to just imagine for a second. They're all doing the same thing in Revelation. The end, at the end of time, after Jesus returns, all of us singing the praises of God, right? But listen, what's interesting there is that there are still some distinctions. There's, it's, not, it's not all a bunch of people who look exactly the same and think exactly the same and have the exact same background and the same experience. It's people from different countries and different backgrounds and different languages. It's people from all over. And John, as he's witnessing this, can still see the distinctions. Let me tell you why that's important. That when we talk about the revelation of Christ, we're not talking about the eradication of everything that makes you uniquely you. What we're talking about is the embracing of the fact that God created you uniquely. That the journeys and the struggles, that the things you've gone through have shaped you uniquely to reveal Christ in a way that no one else does. And you don't lose that uniqueness. You don't lose those special properties. You don't abandon those. They become a tool in which to declare a more robust or a broader picture of who Christ is. That's why when we study in Ephesians, remember, it talks about the Lord Jesus being settled down and at home in us. And it says, once the Lord Jesus is settled down and at home in us and we're rooted and established in his love, then what? Together with the saints, together with the saints, we begin to apprehend, increasingly know, the height and depth and width and length of the unknowable love of Christ. You remember when we studied that text? Well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen through a homogenized group of people who are all doing an impression of Jesus. It's not us all sort of putting on the fake beard and the blue sash. It's about us uniquely asking the Spirit of God, how can Christ be revealed in a guy like me? The bald guy with the pillow in his shirt, right? What is unique about you? What has God brought you through? What is God doing in your life today? How is it that you are unique and special by the design of God to have a unique impact, to be the key that unlocks the lives of unique people that he's placed around you? This is, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to go, how is Christ revealed in me uniquely? So when we come to a passage like the one we just read, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that talks about us all being ambassadors, 
there's a recognition that that's a unique ambassadorship. We're all carrying the king's message to the king's audience, but we're doing it in unique ways. You're going you're gonna to carry the revelation of Christ to your circle in a way that's uniquely different than me. What's more than that, theologically, I believe that each and every one of you and everybody who's watching this online or who watch it later, each and every one of you, God has placed a very unique set of people around you that you are more capable of revealing Christ to than I am. And that the people sitting next to you are not as gifted and capable of revealing Christ to that circle of people as you are. So it's not about erasing the truth of who you are with all the things you've learned and all of, your, all of your strengths and all of your weaknesses and all of your struggles. It's not about eradicating those, but it's about recognizing that Christ wants to be uniquely revealed in us because of where we've come from, because of where he's taking us, because of how he's wired us, the things we're passionate about. There's a beauty in that, and there's a breadth to the revelation of Christ when all of us recognize that it's not about becoming the same thing, it's about all of us being united behind the same purpose, which is the revelation of Christ for the good of others and the glory of God. When my, uh, my dad used to do some traveling when I was little, and he would travel sometimes to other countries and whatever, and when he would go to other places, I remember he would bring me back uh, a bottle of Coca-Cola from different countries, right? And I never, we never drank it. I don't know why. It would have been probably fun to drink it, but that's not what he wanted. He wanted to put them on a shelf. So like I had a bottle of Coca-Cola from Egypt and I had a bottle of Coca-Cola from someplace in Spain and I, you know, and it was written in a different language, a little bit different logo. It was essentially the same thing, but it was made manifest in a unique way. It was very interesting to see. How is Coca-Cola going to be produced? And how is it going to be marketed? And how is it going to be utilized in, in different environments? The same thing is what we're talking about here when we talk about the revelation of Christ. That it's always Jesus. It's always Jesus. But uniquely made manifest in us. There's a unique revelation that happens in and through us as we are called to be his ambassadors. So here we are, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 17 and following. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. I've said this before, and I do not apologize for the redundancy, but what is a local church if not an embassy of the kingdom of God? What are these buildings? What are we if not ambassadors gathered together to prepare for the work of an emissary, of an ambassador in this city, in this time, in this place, to reveal Christ uniquely? That is what we've gathered to do. This church, a church, any church, is an embassy. That's what we're doing. Uniquely revealed through us. The, the trick can be sometimes that in the process of trying to take the king's message to the king's audience, sometimes rather than accurately re revealing the character of Christ, and we've talked about this before too, sometimes we actually mar the image of Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you saw this uh, story a few years ago. It kind of it went viral. But there was a church in Spain that was hoping to do some restoration on one of its paintings, a painting called Behold the Man. You've probably seen the painting. Uh, we'll put it on the screen. This, this is the original. And it, over time, I mean, it's, it's not like a spectacular painting necessarily, but it's a picture of Christ. Uh, and over time, it had deteriorated. In fact, it got worse than even you see in this image. But there was a, there was a little old lady in their church who very willingly uh, volunteered to do this restoration work. So rather than, uh, rather than going out and finding a professional to do this, there was a lady who... Uh, 
with a very humble spirit and a willingness, said, I will do the restoration work. And so this is what she uh, did. And uh, most people, I, it was funny, interesting this morning, Joel says, I think that's a picture of a potato, right? It looks more like a potato. Some people have said they should change the, the, the name of this painting to behold the monkey because it looks a little bit more like a, like a monkey than it does Jesus anymore. Now, here's the thing. We're not trying to belittle the lady who did this work. But we're trying to say this isn't necessarily her area of expertise. What's she trying to do? She's trying to represent Jesus. But what she ends up doing is actually sort of distorting the image because of her own limitations. The reality is that you and I will always be in a struggle because we're sinners, because we're still in the flesh, because we have not been perfected. There will be moments where we mar the image of Christ. Those are moments where we have to, again, sort of redouble our efforts to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to keep that revelation accurate. But I would also say that we will mar the image of Christ if we're not vigilant to be sure that we're accurately representing him. Does that make sense? So sometimes the marring of the image of Christ happens because of our fallenness. It happens because of our weakness and our brokenness. Sometimes the marring of the image is because we are not yet perfected and there are times where our tempers are going to flare or there are times where we're going to get the wrong information. There are times where we're going to be jealous or we're going to be greedy or we're going to be envious until such day as we are perfected and glorified. In this interim season, there are times where unfortunately because we're fallen, we're going to mar the image of Christ and we pray that God will redeem those times. But the greater issue for us as Christians, as ambassadors, is not those moments when we mar the image of Christ because of our weakness, but rather those moments where we we mar the image of Christ intentionally because we have not been vigilant. Does that make sense? Because we have not been vigilant to make sure that we're putting forth the character of Jesus. When we talk about evangelism, for instance, for many of us, when we talk about evangelism, maybe you get a little nervous about evangelism. But for many people, when they talk, when they think about evangelism, they think about it's, it's sort of the communication of information, right? It's, oh, well, I need, to, I need to make sure people know that they're sinners and that they're going to be separated from God. They're going to go to hell if they don't know Jesus. And Jesus came because of the justice of God. Jesus came and he took our sin and he died for us. He rose from the dead. He gives us by his grace resurrection life. I just need to be able to hit these like five key points. And as long as I can say this thing, if I can read them, the four spiritual laws, if I can walk them through my evangelistic outline, knock on the door, make sure they've heard everything I have to say and then run away. I've done my job as an evangelist. I want to say that is not our whole job as the evangelist. Our whole job is not just the communication of information. And yet for many of us, that's what we boiled it down to. We boiled it down to the articulation of a couple of theological points. Now, while we do have to be precise about the information, because we also have seen historically that people will deviate from the heart of the gospel. And they'll say, well, the gospel of Jesus is just everybody be nice, right? Or they'll say, hey, the uh, heart of Jesus is just give more money. Or the heart, of, the heart of the gospel is just make sure you come to church every week or don't smoke cigarettes or whatever. We're not going to boil the gospel down to things that it isn't. So it's important for us to know what the gospel is. That information is vital. And let me say this. If you're a part of this community and you don't feel confident to articulate the information, the truth of the gospel, that's one of our jobs as a church, as, a, as an embassy, is to make sure you're equipped to communicate that well. If you don't feel capable of articulating the gospel, th- then we would love to help you know how to do that and to do it well. But let me say this. A- after all of that, let me say this. Many of us know how to give the information really well. But the information cannot be received by our friends and neighbors because the revelation obscures the information. Does that make sense? The way in which Christ has been revealed as something other than he is 
obscures the data we're trying to transfer. So while, while many times we will uh, talk about Jesus, we're living like the spiritually dead. We talk about the kingdom of God while carrying the banner of earthly powers. We talk about the, the spirit of God while being greedy and judgmental and legalistic, right? We take on all these other things. For many of us these days, Jesus has to be run through our political filter, right? Or it has to be run through our social filter. And Jesus becomes recalibrated because of our, our higher commitment to, a, to something else. I got to tell you, Jesus is first and foremost. And everything else has to be run through the filter of Jesus. And if not, the, the image of Jesus will be marred. It will be marred by your affiliations. It will be marred by the clubs you're in. It will be marred by the groups you're in on Facebook. The image of Jesus will be marred by the echo chambers you're in, by where you're getting your information. It will be marred by your own greed and your own selfishness and your own pride. And the same is true for me. I have to look to Jesus and be led by the Holy Spirit so that his revelation is accurate Because many times, before I ever get a chance to communicate the information of the gospel, people have already dismissed me because of the revelation. In the West, in the place we live, the West, in some ways, has been inoculated to evangelical information. I know we're in a season of thinking about uh, inoculation, right? But for many people where you work, many people where you go to school, for many people on Facebook that you share uh, information with, that they don't actually need to hear the information anymore. They've heard the information and they've dismissed it because of the way in which we conduct ourselves. And so there's great work for us to do in being able to communicate the information. We have to repair the revelation. There is great work for us to do in the years ahead. I would say in in the coming years, we're going to see more and more people who are dismissive of the church, who are dismissive of the gospel of Christ, who are dismissive of the authority of Scripture. And they're not going to be dismissing Jesus or his church or the Scriptures on the basis of Jesus or the church or the Scriptures. They're going to be dismissing those things based on our marred revelation. They will look at us and dismiss our king. And that's terrible ambassadorship for what it's worth. The West has been inoculated. If they, uh, if they are going to hear the gospel, they will need to see Christ. If they're going to hear the gospel, they'll need to see Christ in us. So I, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list this morning, but let me just give you a list of the first nine or ten things that popped into my head when I thought about what it looks like to live like Christ, right? We talk about the revelation of Christ. Here's, here's just a couple. And this, again, not exhaustive. Maybe some of these you got nailed. You go, I don't need to work on that. These are the ones that I felt like were important for me to go, I got I to do some work on this, right? The first one in my list, I would pull out of a, a verse like Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first thing I put on my list is loving those who don't deserve it. Loving those who don't deserve it. I don't think I'm good at that all the time. I think many times my revelation of Christ is I love people when they've earned it and when they've deserved it or when they've cleaned themselves up enough. You know, the the great thing about the grace of Jesus is that Jesus doesn't love us when we change. He loves us so we'll change. See the difference between those two? That Jesus doesn't wait for us to get ourselves all shiny and new. He doesn't wait for us to clean ourselves up and then go, now you're acceptable. He looks at us and says, you'll never be acceptable. And I love you. And it's in the reception of that grace that then we have the power by his Holy Spirit to become purified over time. So there is a life of grace, a life of love for those who don't deserve it or haven't earned it. That is putting Jesus on display. 
Colossians 3.13, this is similar, but not exactly the same. In Colossians, uh, actually 3.12 and 13, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Are there things this morning that the Lord Jesus has not forgiven you for? Can you think of any? Is there anybody in the room who can think of an instance where the grace of God has not been enough? No, we can't, right? Because he forgives us for all of it. Why then do we continue to hold a grudge against other people? Why then do we continue to withhold forgiveness? I will tell you that I think if our culture and if our community and if our church is going to survive the next two or three years, it will only be in a spirit of forgiveness. It will only be in a spirit of what the Bible would call jubilee, right? Where where we just go, hey, no questions asked. I'm just going to forgive. I'm just going to be gracious like the Lord Jesus is gracious to me. Why? Because that puts Jesus on display. Puts Jesus on display. So love or grace, forgiving others. I wrote here uh, the, to serve and minister out of acceptance. And what I mean by that, I've been struck in this last couple of weeks by the fact that before Jesus' ministry began, we have the baptism of Jesus. You can read about this in Matthew 3. Matthew 3, in the baptism of Jesus, Jesus is baptized and God the Father speaks over Jesus. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? There's this, there's this voice of affirmation and acceptance. And it's only in receiving that reality then that Jesus does his public ministry. The public ministry of Jesus follows this declaration of acceptance by God. I think many of us in our lives, we, we try and do the work of Christianity without first being rooted and established in the acceptance of God for us. I think there are some of you in this room probably who feel unworthy. You feel like you're constantly having to posture. You feel like you're constantly having to, to please other people and make them like you and cover up all of your mistakes. And you're operating from a, from a place of falsehood to some degree. And it's only when you can stop and go, yeah, am I a mess? Yeah, am I broken? Yeah, am I a daughter of the king of the universe? Yes, all those things are true. Am I a son of the king of the universe? Has he called me his own? Has he redeemed me and saved me and adopted me into his family? Has he spoken over me the same things he speaks over Jesus? This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I think one of the ways in which we manifest Christ, reveal Christ in the world, is by loving and serving and forgiving in the spirit of stated and received acceptance. Does that make sense? Going, I'm, I'm good because God says so. Speaking of my own heart there. John chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, tell the picture or tell the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And in John 13, after he washes their feet, he says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Right? So one of the things I wrote in my list here is to serve in humility, to have that mind that it talks about in Philippians 2, the mind of Christ that doesn't consider equality with God a thing to be clung to, but makes himself nothing. There's love and grace. There's forgiveness. There's ministering out of acceptance. There's serving in humility. There's speaking the truth, right? Honesty is important. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of the core components of who Jesus is, is truth. And yet so often we mar the reputation of Christ with our dishonesty. Speak the truth. Stay committed. I was looking at Matthew 26 and all of the reasons why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would have wanted to give up. Why he would have wanted to quit. It was hard. He says in Matthew 26, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, 
And then he goes on to say in, in the same breath, but not my will, but your be, yours be done. There is a sense of dedication and commitment that is indicative of the character of Christ, even in the midst of difficulty and hardship. And I think that commitment is one of the ways we reveal Christ in our world. Being prayerful is also part of that Garden of Gethsemane picture. Finding joy and endurance when we studied Hebrews. It talks in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. that we, It says this idea that, that we look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured. He endured because of the joy that was set before him. What's that joy? The joy is the glory of God and the good of others. So we talk about... The, the, the discipline of revelation. We're talking about loving others with grace, forgiving others, ministering out of a heart of acceptance, serving others in humility, speaking the truth, uh, being, staying committed, being prayerful, finding joy and endurance. All of these things. John summarizes it well in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. It says in 1 John 2, 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever would abide in Jesus should walk in the same way. What is that? It's about putting Jesus on display in our thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes. At the end of the day, this series, Spring Training, we said this at the beginning, I'm going to say it again. This Spring Training series wasn't really for you. It wasn't really for you. I mean, there, you, you, there, you will reap some benefits from it, but that's just like frosting on the cake. It's like an unintended byproduct. The purpose of the spiritual disciplines is that God would be glorified and that Christ would be revealed to us, in us, and by us. All these things we've talked about ultimately come down to the revelation of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, and I'll finish here. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me. He's not here talking about doing your best Jesus impression. He's talking about that life of Christ in you being made manifest in the external. Jesus revealed to you and in you and by you to us and in us and by us. And why it says here in 1 Corinthians 10, that they may be saved. I saw one of the, probably the, the most accurate depictions of the Lord Jesus on television that I've seen in years this week. And it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't one of these Christian programs where they, uh, where they dressed up a guy in the beard and the blue sash and put him on a boat and whatever. It wasn't one of those, although those, those are fine. This was a, a thing on Netflix, and there's actually tons of terrible language in it. It was a thing on Netflix called Last Chance You, and it was about a basketball team in East L.A. And the coach there uh, is a guy named, I think his name is John Mosley. I emailed this guy this week, um, and I just said to him, I just wrote him a couple sentences. I just said, hey, you look more like Jesus on Netflix to me than anything I've ever seen on Netflix. And this guy's just a coach at a community college in East LA, but he loves Jesus and he loves the kids he's coaching. And at every opportunity, it wasn't that he never lost his temper. It wasn't that he didn't sometimes come off the rails because he's a, he's a human being. But what I loved is that at every opportunity, he was pointing those young men back to Jesus. He was pointing them back to Christ. He was pointing them back to his own faith and their need for faith. He was praying with them and for them. And more than anything, he refused to give up on them. He refused to turn his back on them, no matter the foul language, no matter what kind of a train wreck the, the, the individual kid might be taking. He put Jesus on display 
in a way that I hadn't seen in a very long time. I was moved to tears watching a show about junior college basketball. We have the opportunity to put Jesus on display, to reveal Christ, but it won't just happen accidentally. It will happen because in our hope of being conformed to his image, eventually we purify ourselves in the here and now. We take on the attributes of Christ and we live this truth day in and day out. That is the way that we will get past the inoculation of our world to biblical information and we will get to a place where they'll receive the information because they have seen the revelation in us. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us a clarity from you, a spirit-led clarity that would give us a sense of how best to uniquely reveal you based on who you've made us to be, based on our experience, based on our gifting, based on our lives, that we would pay attention to the ways in which your Holy Spirit will use our unique revelation as the key to unlock the hearts of those in our proximity, those that are around us who see us and watch us. Help us to accurately put you on display and not to mar your image but to reveal you in such a way that people will be hungry to know you, that we would glorify you in our thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.